give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst, the Draft Dak NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Corey Tulliba, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Albert. Garbage time, Gim. Albert, what's good, my dude? What is going on? We are back. I'm excited. We're going to be talking about a player with a fantastic name, a really interesting game, and I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm ready to rock. Yes, sir. Uh, we are covering Amen Thompson uh, from... Team OTE of the Overtime Elite. Uh, Amen is 19 and a half years old. He is listed at 6'7", 200 pounds with a reported 6'9", inch wingspan. Um, average 14 points. Uh, the points, you know what? I, I didn't update it from last week with, uh, with Scoot. But uh, he did shoot 53.3% from the field 22% from the three-point line, 56.2% from the free throw line. Wow. Um, not great. And the reason that I uh, didn't update it is because while I was going over the stats, it doesn't actually give his um, stats yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the overtime yeah. website, but his uh, per 36 numbers um, we're 18.6 points per game with 5.1 assists to three and a half turnovers, 2.8 steals, 1.9 blocks, 6.1 rebounds. Um, the overtime elite only plays 32 minute games, high school rules for eight minute quarter. So, um, you know, not exactly apples to apples here, but, um, I'm in Thompson. I, I actually decided to switch things up a little bit and not go through his preseason rankings. Cause uh, okay. one of the things that I I'm really focused on this off season is not looking at any rankings anywhere outside. Like I knew Victor was number one. I knew scoot was number two, but like, I don't want any of my preseason evaluation swayed by lists because I, <laughs> we're already seeing uh, some, you know, 2022 uh, redraft list come out. I mean, I we if you look at the the preseason 2022 rankings compared to now, you see names that are you know a bunch of guys who went in the second round. I, I mean, it's the all the the preseason lists do you know are set standards, and and I get it. Rankings are important. That's a big aspect of this podcast, but. Um, I, I don't want my preseason board because I think, you know, we are going to come out at no ceilings with, um, you know, a preseason board at some point. We're going to, uh, you know, I think come out with um, a preseason draft guide. Right. Uh, at some point. But I, I want all of these rankings to be as unbiased as possible and just go based on film and, you know, what I see on the screen rather than, you know, the fact that player X has been hyped up. Now I know Amen Thompson um, is one of the more hyped up prospects in the class along with his brother. So, uh, you know, he, he is a potential top five pick, but I wanted to switch it up this week. No, for sure. I get that, man. I totally 
understand your process and why you decided to do it. And I'm excited. Like, I, I get it. And Corey, like we did this a year ago. And uh, a lot of those names that were in the top 10 were nowhere near the top 10 when it was draft time. So um, Yannick Sosa, Caleb Houston. Ah, that's the name Jayden, I didn't bring it up. Jaden Hardy. Jaden uh-huh. Hardy, you know, uh, J.D. Davison. You know, yes. a lot of these names uh, that were up there ended up nowhere near. So, yeah, I, I think it's smart. And, of course, Corey, I also like what you said at mm-hmm. the end where – at the same time, it does make sense why these websites and other people are doing these rankings because people need that as well. And it's good to kind of put these players on the radars for teams and executives and scouts and everyone so that they can have at least like a preliminary list of players to look out for. I get all that for sure. But also here at No Ceilings, we try to do things a little differently. And I like and I love your your decision to do that, Corey. So I'm with you. Yeah, so we're going to go deep and uh I mean, why waste any time, right? Let's let's get into some Amen Thompson scouting breakdown preseason for the 2023 NBA draft. Uh where do you want to start, dude? Um So usually we start with shooting. Yeah. Um I'd like to not do that today just okay. because I don't want to start off uh with a skill that's not his best skill, right? Um, understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll leave it up to you, Corey. I, I'm down to talk about his passing down to talk about his defense down to talk about a lot of different things. But the, my biggest thing was I didn't want to start with shooting because I had some strong critiques about it. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah, for sure. And I, so let's start with the kind of like self-creation ability. Uh, and I guess you can get into like his athleticism. Yeah. You know, with that, I think that his first step burst is, is crazy. Yeah, it's really impressive. Um, I like his handle mm-hmm. a lot. It's it's not like super flexible. Um, right. Like it's not shifty side to side. There's not like crazy shake with it, mm-hmm. but it's efficient and quick and he can use it to get downhill really yeah. easily. Like I don't think there were, at, you know, in, in the OTE games, there weren't a, a lot of people who could stay in front of him on an mm-hmm. island. And when he can use a ball screen, obviously it's even harder to prevent that. Uh, I think in the basketball tournament game, you know, and I think it's totally reasonable that the result happens, you know, he had a little bit more trouble creating consistent separation because those were grown men with with strength and, uh, you know, higher basketball feel. So that made sense, but he still was able to get into the paint. So that's really impressive um, for sure. I think that when he does get into the paint and he's yeah. there a lot, I think he's got good finishing touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I like the most about his finishing touch is that I think he's a good finisher with his left hand. Yes. Yes. That was and, the big one I wrote down. Yep. You know, I, I think that um, that's important because, you know, for somebody who's going to be so reliant so early on getting downhill, getting to the rim, you have to be able to finish when you get there and you can't just be like a one dimensional finisher. So I, I really like the fact that he's able to like slither through guys in, in the paint and around the rim and use like euros and, and, you know, crafty footwork to kind of get around people and then, you know, go up on one side and come back with his left and finish. And, and it looks natural. It didn't look as forced because sometimes I feel like he could be like, I don't want stiff isn't the right word because he's not a mm-hmm. stiff athlete at all, but you know, he mm-hmm. doesn't have that super loose. Like it, it looks like it's all like, uh, 
you know, like he's spent years in the gym with a trainer and it's very like, again, his, his movements are very efficient, but I do think his left-handed finishing allows a little bit of that kind of flexibility, a little bit more so than some of the other stuff. Yeah, no, Corey, I, I damn, I'm, I'm pissed that you beat me to the punch. Cause that was the first thing that I really wanted to talk about, but okay, let's start with the creation stuff. Um, not a combo move guy. Not like he's got a bunch of uh, tools in the, in the toolbox when it comes to like his handle, he's not doing like, a bunch of different moves to get by people. I think his one really strong move is his crossover. He's got one crossover that can help him get by guys. He used it a lot. He spammed quick. it a lot against, yeah, it's quick. It's effective. He also used it against, to be, let's be totally fair, some lesser competition where he was able to really take advantage of that to get to the rim. Um, and as you mentioned, an absolute electric first step. And once he starts getting downhill, it feels like, um, I was listening to the Rosillo pod and life advice and they were talking about like snowboarding and skiing and some like young dad was talking about going down double black diamond or whatever. And I hadn't heard that in years because we lived in LA and I never go to the slopes anymore. Not that I ever did in New York either, but I had been in a while because I haven't yeah. had health insurance in a while. So yikes. Yeah. Be safe <laughs> out there. Um, but I hadn't, I hadn't heard double black diamond in a while, but um, it made me think of Amin Thompson and the way that he gets downhill. He gets downhill hard and fast and it's pretty dangerous when he gets down there. Um, the one thing I will say, Corey, that I really love that you touched upon. Uh, he's pretty crafty. He's pretty slithery around the rim. Really good left hand. It's not like a Kyrie Irving left hand or a Mike Conley right hand where he's like throwing yeah. floaters with it and stuff like that. But it's very effective. But I did want to say, I feel like he had to use a lot of that slitheriness because he's not the strongest guy yet. Uh, mm. He's not. Uh, he doesn't have his grown man strength. Uh, grown man strength yet. So Not I yet. Think he has to use exactly. He has to use some of the tricks to get there. And also, Corey, I felt like there were times when he was driving to the rim and a stronger defender would wall him up. Uh, his feet would get a little awkward. Uh, things would start to get a little bit choppy and he'd start to lose his way. And once again, if he's going against stronger competition, his straight line drives to the basket became a little curved and a little, you know, not to where he wanted. And he would kind of lose his way a little bit is what I wanted to say. But that's not a major flaw. That's something that could easily get corrected with him just get straight up getting stronger and also him working on his drives and his finishing to the game and adding more nuance and adding more of the slitheriness and more of the savvy around the rim to get to the basket, I think will be important for him. But um, yeah, man, he's really electric when he gets there and it's really exciting. But um, I did want to say, like, once again, the handle is good, not great. And he I feel like he really only has one truly reliable move right now, which is the crossover. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, he, I think his handle is like it's not loose. Like sometimes, you know, we did Scoot last last week and Scoot's handle looked loose sometimes. Maybe that was because he's playing against NBA comp. But even when he had nobody on him, sometimes it just, you know, looked like something he needed to tighten up. I think right. Amen's handle looked pretty tight. Um, but. Like you said, like it's not like he has like that Jason Williams, Lamelo type like creativity in the same way. Um, but I'm I'm pretty in on it because I do think his first step, like he doesn't always need that, yeah, that dribble to you know that to create space. Um, I think early on it's going to be hard for him because of some of the other things we'll get into. But uh, I think that like one of the things I noticed and sometimes I think he's a, his decision-making was okay. And we'll get into that with, with the passing, which is impressive. But like, sometimes like you, you said he gets like fidgety or whatever. And like, he doesn't know it. 
had to always evade at all times, mm-hmm. which is fine. He's a young player, but like it, it's a little bit of that Westbrookian mentality of like when you get a little too line drivey and you're just like, all right, I got to, I'm going, yeah. I'm committing to this. Uh, you know, like I, an example of somebody who's a little more like slithery. And I think this goes back to the athleticism conversation because I think that he is an excellent athlete. Amen. But I don't think he is like, um, you know, going to come in and be the best athlete in the NBA. He's not generational. He's not a generational (laughs) athlete. So far we have four generational type players I've heard on draft Twitter, but like somebody who I think has that perfect combination of everything who's around his size is Anthony Edwards. Like Anthony Edwards, I think is an elite tier athlete. Um, And if you're going to like make the generational claim, like at that position, I think he is the standard right now because he has that unique combination of just like slithery smoothness and flexibility combined with just raw explosive power. Right. Um, And that's what I like that full package. Like to me, athleticism is so much more than bounce. Like he gets up, he can get up, but there's so much more to it. It's so much more nuanced when we're talking about like the elite elite athletes at the NBA level. Like he might look super elite in the overtime context, but like there's just certain ways that the body moves that I think he's like slightly missing. And it might just be like, I don't know, like Anthony Edwards looks like he played a shit ton of pickup. Right. And like you learn different things, you know, you that's like that Jamal Crawford, Seattle type vibe, Mm -hmm. but there's just a, I don't know, Anthony Edwards, like, that's what I look at when I think of, like, you know, potentially, like, we look back in, you know, on him one day and we're like, oh, wow, he was the best athlete at his position of, like, his generation, maybe. Um, I I don't know if I see that with Amen. It's not to say he's not, he can't be a top tier leaper or whatnot, but I'm not sure I see some of the other things. I I think, again, he's excellent, so I don't want to, you know, turn this into the generational podcast, but um, I do think that he's got a great second jump you know when he when he does get to the hoop and he doesn't finish he's really quick off his feet and he does get he gets some height on it it's not just like putting it back up with the light like he'll get to the rim so that was impressive um but again you know i think that like i want to see a little bit more of that elusiveness in his movements um, and I think he's again, he's slithery around people, but there's just, I don't know at the NBA level, I, you know, I'm a big movement guy and yeah. I, sometimes I don't even know how to explain it, but yeah. there's just like a, a 10 per, to 15% that he's not at for me to buy into like this crazy athlete that I've heard about. And, and I'll tell you, you definitely notice him as an athlete, you know, mm-hmm. but like, mm-hmm. When I was watching Jan Montero, because Jan Montero was a guy that we didn't talk much about last year because he was another guy, hyped up prospect, you know, fell, didn't even get drafted. Um, So by the time, you know, we were ready to do his episode, it was like we had other guys that we needed to cover instead. Right. But I watched, you know, like I'm watching some of these OTE games for the the second time, you know, because the Thompson twins in general, there's only three OTE overtime teams. So like, you know, when you're watching a Montero game, chances are you're watching (laughs) a Thompson twin, unless they're playing a prep school. Yeah. You know, it's, they, it wasn't like a consistent pop for me off the screen. Like I, it wasn't like, Oh my God, I know I'm supposed to be watching Jan Montero, but like, right. I my, I'm focused on this. That wasn't what it was like for me. Um, now I had a different experience, obviously focusing on him. This viewing, 
where, mm-hmm. you know, I was mostly focused on uh, Jan last cycle. But, um, yeah, really impressive stuff, but a lot of work to be done. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. Um, what I wrote in my notes, this dude is a freak athlete. Is what I wrote. It's always mm. weird when I read my notes like this. Um, but <laughs> no, he is a freak athlete, and and, yeah. I, and uh, yeah, like he is very good. I think generational. I think people need to remember what that means. Like for hi- for him to be called generational, he has to be like the best or of the best of his generation, uh, which I think is high 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 praise that shouldn't be handed out to everybody who can uh hit their head on the hit their head on the rim you know when we're talking about athleticism Corey, as you mentioned i think it's really important to remember it's not just about how high you can jump uh james white uh legendarily of the new york knicks used to do crazy things uh jumping in the air and i've never ever seen anyone call him a generational athlete Right. So jumping high, jumping far is not the only part of being a generational athlete. I think it's the combination of finesse and power that you're mentioning. And basketball skills. Oh, that too. Of course. And and putting it into practical use. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Like, I would much rather call Zion generational than Amen Thompson. hundred percent. Like, please, like, we have to understand that we can't just throw generational around just because people in Twitter on Twitter are. Um, I, I think we have to be a little bit more careful, careful about how we use uh, this type of stuff. Like, especially like goat is another thing, right? Everyone gets called a goat and a king and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, well, not everyone gets to be king. Go back in history and not everyone was king. You know, not everyone was a goat because, uh, yeah, it just makes no sense. Right. So I'm with you. I think Amen is a very good athlete. He obviously pops. There's a lot to him. I have an NBA comp for him that I think is fair. Um, and it's not like some NBA superstar, but it's a guy who is a very successful player and was really, really athletic. So I- I'm with you, man. I think he's a very athletic player. He's only going to get more athletic p- potentially, right? As he puts on more muscle and he, you know, he-, he can gain flexibility. He can gain smoothness, hopefully, and things can change. But as of now, I think it would be, we'd be really hard pressed to say that he's a generational athlete. It's just not fair. No, it's not. And honestly, I, I think it puts unwarranted pressure yeah. on a lot of these guys, you yeah. know, like, again, you need like, I, I think when I think back of all of like the best athletes basketball wise, it's not just the athleticism that they had. It was the way that they were able to use it functionally on a basketball court. And even some of the things that didn't necessarily have to do with the athleticism helps them use their athleticism, you know, like. Vince Carter's ability to knock down outside shots consistently allowed him to be um, a threat enough to get to spots on an NBA floor where he could show off his athleticism in unique ways. Like Zach Levine, you know, like he's, you know, probably got the best dunk contest performance um, of the last however many years, (laughs) him and Aaron Gordon, right? Yeah. And I, I think if Zach wasn't as skilled as he was and couldn't shoot the way he did. Like, I don't know if you would be able to consider him, you know, the, obviously you would still consider him an athlete, but he wouldn't get to show it in the same ways. So I I think that matters too. And Amen has some skills right now that will allow him to do that. Um, But he also has some that I think are going to make it hard for him to show off some of that athleticism on a consistent basis, because, Mm -hmm. At the NBA level, you know, faster speed, like guys are going to be quicker to rotate and you're going to have to make certain decisions. And, you know, I think he's a good decision maker and we talk, we could talk about his passing, 
um, which I think is pretty impressive. I think it's, I, I think it's pretty impressive and he gets to spots on the floor, but it's mm-hmm. like, and the one thing that impressed me about him and we talk about all the time, right? It's like, we love the weak side hits. We love guys who yeah. can see the floor, get into the teeth of the defense and not just make the pass one pass away. They can, you know, recognize that when they drive into the hoop, the help's going to come and that's going to leave guys open for open shots or scramble situations, things that make NBA offense, you know, flow. So right. I, I thought that he was good at that. Now, I don't think that he is on the LaMelo, Luca, Trey Young type level. You know, like I, I, I don't think that he's like, making the kind of like um, basketball field decisions that you would see from like a Chris Paul or even like a Tyrese Halliburton where they can kind of, they have that understanding of like, all right, I'm going to go here. The defender is going to come here and I'm going to make the play early. Like, I I think it's a little bit like scoot in the way that it's more like athleticism based reactionary, but he's, he's, he recognizes it. And that's, what's important. I don't, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but he recognizes it. And that's, that's what important what's important but i really like this passing um all right Corey, really quickly can i inter- i want to ask you a yes. question you just rolled off a bunch of nba guys and you, you're calling them elite playmakers whatever i have a question and this actually doesn't have to do so much with amen but i really want to throw this at you because i think it's a good conversation because i've been absolutely obsessed all off season i've watched so much of Cade cunningham that it feels weird as a Nick fan and as someone who's not a Detroit Piston fan. Like I'm literally every weekend I take time, obviously like I'm watching tape almost every day. I'm not going to lie and say I watch tape every day. I just can't. I have a day job guys. It's really difficult for me, but I try to watch tape almost every day. Right. And I throw in Kate a lot and I love Kate so much, but Corey, I wanted to ask you put Luca and CP and all those guys in that tier where do you have Cade as a playmaker? Do you have them on the same level or do you have them right below or even further down? I think, well, as far as like Luca and Trey, yeah, I definitely have him a level below, below that. Okay. Um, LaMelo is the conversation's a little different. I think LaMelo is a better passer and playmaker, but I also don't know if he's willing to control the offense like a championship level point guard and he's still young. So there's time, but I think, Mm -hmm. you know, a a lot of it is flair and he's still got to learn to kind of control it and use all of those natural gifts to manipulate things so consistently and run the team in a way that's like, you know, he knows every, yeah, he's got a lot of ways to go for as gifted as he is because it's so natural. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, it's been so hard to really see the level that Cade is at as a playmaker the last Mm -hmm. couple of years, because he just hasn't had the right mix of talent around him. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like an excuse and maybe to a point it is, but I think in the next few years, we'll see that he could be a special playmaker and he has those chops and he does make really impressive reads. And I think he does have that kind of nuanced understanding of when I come off the screen here, like I'm going to pull the weak side. And when I pull the weak side, okay, that uh, the corner is going to be open. But the second time I do that, you know, the uh, defender who's splitting the difference might realize that I'm going to hit the weak side corner. So he's going to cheat a little bit um, for the, for the X out. So I'm actually going to, you know, go in a little bit deeper and then I'm going to hit the weak side wing. Like I do think he has that kind of understanding to his game. Um, And that's what I want to see out of Amen Thompson, you know, like, you know, and I, 
that's what you want to see out of every elite young player. Because my thing is, Amen Thompson ran point for -hmm. this team. But I want to know, is his passing and playmaking good enough that an NBA team is going to be like, you are our point guard. You are our primary ball handler. Yeah. So that's why I brought up the Cade conversation, because for me, Corey, all the names that you guys rattled off, all, all those names that you, not you guys, you rattled off. Yeah. Um, I see them in that tier the same way that you do. They are the absolute elite playmakers in our game. I look at Cade as, um, as a gentleman, <laughs> which is stupid yeah, to say. Go on. He's like a refined gentleman. He's like an F1 driver. Okay. There's nothing super flashy about what K does, but he makes adult, refined, classy decisions consistently. I, I've loved that about Cade watching him this offseason. Like watching him on that Pistons team, I almost felt like they didn't deserve him because he made so many great passes and created so many savvy, smart almost veteran-like looks for his teammates, and they just were not able to cash in because they're not good enough, right? Yeah. I see Cade on that level where he's not on the same level as Luca. I agree with you. I think he's a level below, right? And I think Halliburton's, like, right in that range as well. I'm totally okay with Cade and Halliburton being, like, in that same tier. My thing is, I think Amin is one below, one level below that, which is why I, I, I was thinking about that, Corey. Like, okay, with his skill set and with what we've seen in the OTE so far, if I'm an NBA executive, do I trust Amen Thompson to be the future spearhead or the future facilitator of my offense? I do have some concerns, right? Because I don't know if he's going to be as nuanced, uh, as high IQ as those other guys to lead my offense where I'm like, okay, I can build a title contending team around this guy running my offense. I don't feel as sure. And so if that's the case, right, then Corey, then I I think it leads to another discussion, right? If you have a guy who's six, seven, who can pass the ball, who can handle the ball, but is not a strong shooter, right? Do you want to trust that guy to run your offense? And if the answer to that question is no, and you see him more as a secondary or tertiary guy, I think his ceiling comes down a little bit. I'm not saying it, it plummets a lot, ceiling, but I, yeah, I, I think it comes it down does. more okay. than a little because for me, Corey, it's the shooting and we'll get there. But I think overall, so Corey, you asked me the question on how I feel. I don't think I'm there where I would give him the keys to run my offense. I still see him as a secondary tertiary guy. And if that's the case, then I have some real questions about his outlook. I, and I think those questions are going to be warranted. Okay. Because, I look, he doesn't need to be a primary initiator to be a successful wing oh, yeah, of course. in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But what he does need, if he's not going to be the primary initiator, and if he is going to be a guy who plays off other people, he is going to have to be able to play without the ball in his hands. Yeah. And that's where I have questions. Because, Same. and yes, it comes down to the shooting. Because I think that a lot of the rest of his game uh, is in question when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Cause it's not just the shooting, but it spirals from the shooting. Like it's the fact that, you know, he sometimes acts like a magnet. This is something you see from young kids. Yeah. Especially at the high school level. They don't stay consistent with spacing. Yeah. You know, they want to go towards the ball. Right. And as a, <laughs> like a, as a, a coach, um, as a scout, you're just like, Go away from the ball. The ball will find you, right? Like the ball, like we need more space. But sometimes in these OTE games, like 
everybody on the team just collapses to the middle and you're just bringing right. defenders with you. And it's just like, instead of there being nobody there, uh, everyone's there. Right. And that makes everything harder. There's no, um, you know, passing lanes. There's yeah. no driving, um, lanes. driving lanes. It looks like a NBA game from the nineties where, rugby. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so, you know, and like, so, um, he needs to shoot yeah. and we have to have the shooting discussion because let's, right let's now, because right yeah. now, I look. I I don't have any reason to be optimistic about it. Yeah. The shooting indicators are bad. He's unwilling. Mm-hmm. If somebody is like, I think the rest of his game is so impressive. He's a top tier athlete. He could pass. He's got good feel, and I think he's going to be a two way player. And that's why I have him in the top five. Like right now, at this point, I I'm not going to, you know, shit on that opinion by any means. Like he no, yeah. definitely has that kind of potential right but i again like i wonder like right now he is a one level scorer the goal is to be a three level scorer but right now he is a one level scorer the only level he's comfortable at is the rim yep and that's okay in the overtime elite program Mm -hmm. but against nuanced defenses it's not going to be feasible you know, he's mm-hmm. if he's playing with Cade Cunningham. Right. Okay. They just drafted Jaden Ivey. Okay. They have Cade. Who knows what's going on with Killian Hayes? We'll see. Right. But they have <laughs> Cade and Jaden Ivey. Okay. You can add a third ball handler there. But is Amen going to be on the floor just sitting around in the corner? Like, because even his cutting, I think, is affected by the the lack of wanting to shoot. There are times even where he's supposed to be spacing, but like one, when he's off ball, he hugs the three point line, yes. you know. And again, that affects his shot because when you are hugging the three point line, it means you can't step into or hop into your shot smoothly. It affects your shot preparation. You're you know that you're just catching and you have to put it up, or you're going to be firing up uh, a long two with your your feet on the line. Um, he's waiting sometimes a step like on the three-point line, in the three-point line. So even on his cuts sometimes, he's telegraphing what he wants to do. He doesn't want to shoot. He's not willing to necessarily take that shot unless he has all the time in the world or the shot clock is winding down. You know, he shot 22% from the three-point line on, like, I think 1.9-something attempts a game. So, you know, I mean, for somebody who has the ball in his hands so much, you would expect that to be a little bit higher given the nature of the way basketball is played right now. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's even more concerning about his shot for me is I'm not sure that I saw him attempt more than one mid range shot. Yeah. Yes. Come on. Let's talk about it. Oh my goodness. Okay. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> not only did I not see him take one mid range shot, I don't know how many floaters I yes. saw him take. So, he truly is only looking to get into the teeth of the defense to finish. Or when he gets in there, he's looking to kick out and make plays for his teammates and he's unselfish and he's making the right reads and that's all great. But again, I'm what's going to happen when there's a ball screen and like teams just sit in a drop, you know, and he can't just get to the rim and he's got to move off the ball. What's going to happen when, you know, the team he's on has this beautiful possession where there's all this ball movement, the ball swings his way and he should be taking an open three point shot. But instead, you know, he dribbles or he passes it to somebody who's, you know, going to be covered. 
These are questions that I have. Now, here's my thing with his shooting. Because, you know, we'll get into the form and stuff. But what I want to see from him next year. Because, Mm -hmm. look, he has another year of development before he's eligible for the NBA draft. I want to see him be unafraid of failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't care if he shoots 27% from the three-point line. Mm -hmm. I just want to see him shoot. Yeah. I want to see him attempt mid-range shots. Even if it's not both. I want to see him do one or the other. Uh, Corey, before we get into the mechanics, I want to say I was absolutely shocked by how little he was – like I, I can't remember off the top of my head a mid-range shot that he took. No floaters. No, So pretty much – okay, Corey, we talk about this so much. Elite scorers in the NBA game can not only shoot threes, they need to have an in-between game. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't exist for him. A thing that really bothered me with him is he's playing against a lot of these prep schools where the guards that are guarding him are tiny. He never, ever took them into the post. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just can't remember. Like it, He was never taking advantage of any of those mismatches and all he was doing is trying to get by them but he's never taking these little guys to the post and said you know what i'm gonna work you and destroy you inside never i'm never gonna take a two dribble pull up never like we saw none of that stuff from him and it was like wow okay so if you're never gonna do that then in my head Corey, it comes back to the discussion we were just having what is your ceiling where are you going to end up and how do you live and coexist on an NBA floor with other creators? When you talk about his cutting, Corey, I think there are a lot of nice highlights of him cutting, but he wasn't, in my opinion, I don't think he was essentially a willing cutter either. There are a lot of moments where he's, as you mentioned, just a magnet trying to come to the ball and grab the ball. But when there were like positions when he knew he wasn't going to get the shot or whatever, he it was kind of floating and just kind of attached to a corner and not really doing much. Now, of course, I'll say it again. There were some highlights where he did cut and he did finish in the rim. Very nice. But at the same time, it comes back to that discussion. If you're not a shooter, it's going to affect your cutting as well. And I also didn't think he was exactly a willing cutter cutter all the time either. And if you start to kind of put all that together, we're talking about a player who has some real, I hate to say it, but he has some real red flags and like real things that he needs to work on and improve upon. And you mentioned it, Corey, there is a fear aspect with him. Let's go back and think about guys like Anthony Edwards in college. Yeah. He didn't shoot a great percentage from three, but he put him up yeah, right last year. J- Jaden Hardy, right. You went to a game where he went Oh, for 11, but the sure guy was did. unafraid. He put up shots. He knew that he had a parking lot range and he put him up anyway, even if he went through dry spells, like going through a whole game shooting over 11. We need to see more of that from Amon Thompson next year, because if he doesn't show more of that courage and more of the willingness to put up these shots, then he's got gigantic red flags on his back that NBA teams are going to have two years of tape for. And this is two years of tape of him playing against lesser competition is something that really needs to be emphasized. And the thing is, he's not going to be a young prospect. No, he's not. He's already 19 and a half, you said, right? He missed, I think he missed, the the Thompson Twins missed the cutoff to be eligible for last cycle um, by like a few weeks, right? right? Like similar to like Amani Bates. So he's going to be almost 21 years old by the time he plays his first game. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you know, if you've listened to this podcast, if you've read No Ceilings, if you've listened to No Ceiling, you know we don't discriminate based on age. Yeah. But there is also a difference, right? Mm-hmm. Are you a little bit older and raw? 
or are you a little bit older and you're very polished so people think you have a you know a lower ceiling because yeah. you know they think you might have topped out already like if amen is really raw now like what's the path for him to be paul george mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. that in between game like they l- let me i'm let me go through the top 20 scorers and i'm just going to look through some of like the wings that you would want right kd you know complete unicorn freak you know we don't need to go through that but you know perimeter based scoring creator luca demar derozan Mm-hmm. has a mid-range game, has learned to be effective without the three-point shot, yep. right? But he still shoots him on low volume, but he has cool. that mid-range game to get to in his bag. Jason Tatum, three-level scorer. Devin mm-hmm. Booker, right? Three-level scorer. Um, Zach Levine, three-level scorer. Jalen Brown, three-level scorer. If you want to put uh, SGA in there, three-level three scorer. scorer. You know, like, mm-hmm. And that was a, something that people were concerned about coming in, myself included, because he only right. averaged like one attempt a game in college. So I, I need to see a willingness to, whether it's the like a focus on the three-point shot or the mid-range game, I want to see a willingness next season on one of the other, because or, or on both, potentially. Because he can just get into a, a one-two dribble pull-up anytime he wants. Right, like it's coming off a screen, and that would add so much to his even his yeah. attacking the rim because mm-hmm. now I think that would make the big man have to decide. Oh shit, I can either let him get to the rim with momentum because I'm so dropped back because that's what I'm expecting. But if he adds that mid range shot, now it's like if I just play him for the rim drive, I might be giving up a wide open shot from the elbow. And that would open up so much of his game. It would force guys to have to rotate in different ways. The three-point shot, it's it would be great. But again, like, wh- what if he just focuses on the mid-range game first? And I know that's going to be hard. But I just want the I want to see the confidence to be okay with failure. Yeah, because the percentages are already bad. Yeah, right. It's already not a skill, but it's great to like. And and we'll get into it with the form because it's a little mechanical, right? Like the form's kind of mechanical and a lot of it's open catch and shoot, but you know why it kind of looks mechanical? Because if you don't get them up at game speed in games, it's going to look mechanical. It's going to look like you are thinking out there. It's great to go into practice and get with your trainer and get shots up. And that's nice, you know, and, and I know that that's really trendy with kids nowadays. Um, but you got to fucking get those shots up in game in game. They got to be in game reps because if they're you're not getting them up in game, how are you going to get better? How? What's the point that you're not doing it for the for the gram? You're doing it to to play games. So I want to see that. That's what I want to see. I'm not worried about the percentages so much as the willingness next year. <sighs> Corey, I, I think it's, you just talked about those like high end NBA scorers. I think it's really simple, right? The best scorers in the NBA give defenders a lot to think about. Mm. I think it's as simple as that. If you're not making a defense think and they don't have to consider multiple things, then you're easy to guard. It's the NBA. We're talking about the best of the best. This is the 1% of basketball players on planet Earth. If you're not giving them multiple things. Unless you're going to the pro city, you know, pro-am in the Bronx. Dear God. Jalen Brunson. (laughs) If you're not causing the defense to consider multiple things and have to react to those things, then you're not a threat to them. Straight up, you're absolutely not. And that's Alman Thompson's problem right now. He's not giving them anything to think about. And Corey, we're gonna we're gonna get in the but he doesn't have to at this level. Yeah, because he's playing against kids who are like five four. But um <laughs> Corey, <laughs> I, I do want to say this. 
I, you're the expert on mechanics, so I want to let you go and talk about this. But the thing that I noticed was two things. Uh, number one, I felt like there was a strong disconnect between his lower half and his upper half. Mm. I don't. I didn't know what was going on. It, it felt weird. You said mechanical, but I also thought it was just not connected from the lower half to the upper half. And uh, the biggest thing that it, it just, I really didn't like that. And um, also his form is just not repeatable. I felt like his form was constantly changing. Things were kind of all over the place. There were some times where it felt like there was a hitch in his shot. Sometimes it felt like a slingshot. Sometimes it felt like a push shot. I just felt like his form was not repeatable at all. And I think those things can be fixed. But also, I don't really have any confidence because I still think the lower half and the upper half of his body are just disconnected. And I was really confused by his shot. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll let you go from there. Yeah, well, it's a confusing shot. So uh, I get it. Like, yeah. On its surface, there are times where you're like, oh, that looked pretty okay. Yeah. Right. But it's like, one, he's shooting them when he's got a ton of time, ton of space. That's the only time he's shooting them. Or he's shooting it when the shot clock is winding down. He doesn't have time to think. And I almost feel mm-hmm. like those shots are better for him because when he has time to think is when you see the disconnect in his shot. You know, I mentioned it earlier because he's hugging a three point line. His shot preparation is not great. He doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, he's not consistently stepping into or hopping into his shot all the time. And you know, whether your preference is to one, two step or to hop, that's up, you know, to the shooter and how they feel confident. Uh, A lot of guys can do it both ways, depending on the situation. Right. But like, he doesn't have that shot prep that I like to see consistently. Um, he shoots it out instead of up. You know, I mentioned yes. that a lot on the podcast. It's shot is very much in front of his face and he's just, I guess it's kind of like a push, um, but he, he doesn't, there's no touch to it. You know, he's not missing consistently every time. It's just completely random throw. He's, you know, I put in the no ceiling droop chat, a couple of the air balls that he put up in the game today, just going through film, you know, like going through film today. Um, and there's just, it, it's a lack of touch there's a slight hitch up top for sure. So it's like, there's a lot that needs to be reworked. And how many guys in the NBA have had like a completely broken shot where, you know, forget the 22% from the free throw line. He was mid fifties from the free throw line, which if he's going to be putting pressure on the rim so much, he's at least got to be able to knock down a ton of free throws. Right. 56.2% from the free throw line. So it's just clearly all around a struggle with the shot. How many guys have struggled this much as a shooter pre-NBA and have turned it around to be, you know, a good enough shooter to earn the respect of the defense? That's a probably a really short list. You know, for me, like one of the first guys that came to mind, and he was actually a good shooter, pre-NBA was Lonzo, right? And then he came into the NBA and became a disastrous shooter and then worked his butt off. And now we're how many years later and he's finally become uh, a good to great three-point shooter at volume, but it's mostly, you know, off the catch where he's now looked at as more of a three and D wing rather than like the next Magic Johnson, you know, because he still can't really knock down these shots, create shots for himself off the bounce. And he honestly... Lonzo was a revelation. I bought a Lonzo jersey as a Bulls fan last year, but my God, this man cannot knock down a mid-range shot to save his entire yeah. life. Uh, not one time did I go like, that's going in. And sometimes it even looked okay. And it was just like, yeah. 
fuck man, just one mid range shot, please. But you know, at, at least he turned himself into a good three point shooter. But again, it was more, he's more of an off ball guy, right? He's like a three and D plus guy. One of these mm-hmm. big, you know, uh, connecting pieces rather than, you know, the, the next six, seven penny magic, Steve Nash type guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And another name that comes to mind, Corey, Jason, Jason Kidd, Jason mm-hmm. Kidd. Um, was a guy who literally could not shoot and he ended up becoming a pretty decent one by the end of it was yeah, good getting one. big shots for Dallas and even for the Knicks later on. But um, uh, I'm in Thompson is not the passer that Jason kid was well, um, not even close. Jason yeah. kid was a generational passer. Exactly. There, That's the good application of that word, right? Generational. Uh, I'm in Thompson's just not that level of a, of a player. And if he's not going to be able to shoot, then it's going to really, really hurt him. And Corey, like I, I, I think we're on the same page. Like the shooting is very, very concerning. Because it's not just the mechanics, but it's the willingness, as we talked about before. But if even if we just put the mechanics in a vacuum, there's a lot for him to figure out. You mm. talked about the shot prep stuff, which I think is, is so true. The form stuff, the hitch stuff. Interestingly enough, Corey, you said when he's got p- space and when he's got time, it looks better. I actually thought. No, no, no. I said the opposite. Oh, th- th- that it looked worse. Oh, Yeah. No, I think it looks better it when better. he doesn't have time to think. Okay. So that that's interesting because I actually thought at the free throw line, it didn't look as disconnected. Now, of course, he's not jumping too, so that could be a part of it as well. Right. But I mean, the 56% is terrible. Um, but I don't know. Like at times I, I watched him at the free throw line. I was like, okay, that's not terrible. Um, but overall, there's just a lot going on. And I think that's that's the tough part, right? When there is it's not just one issue with him, it's like four or five issues, and then you add the mentality stuff, and we're talking about a really difficult situation for you to fix. So, and also another question that I have, Corey, that obviously I don't know if we have the answer for is I don't know what type of coaching he's getting exactly at OTE. Uh, is he getting the type of attention and the type of expertise in terms of training and coaching that he would at a power? I don't know, program in, in college basketball or even the G league ignite, you know? So uh, something we talked about off air before recording all this is uh, I, I really wish he wasn't playing for the OTE in his second season. I really what, wish he was at like a bigger college or did you No, the most preferable situation I think would be the G league ignite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a great situation for him to get the proper training and experience, like playing against bigger guys, I think would be great for him as well. But the shooting, there's a lot going on, Corey, and I have no confidence that he's going to fix it. I all right. So I want to touch on like the the college G League Ignite, sure type thing. So I think the overtime elite program is going to get there and be this really awesome resource for young players. You know, because you're we're what we're starting to see are the high school kids who are signing like the scholarship NIL route deals with overtime to where they're not getting the salary, they're keeping their college eligibility. And they're going to plan on, you know, going to college or G League, you know, whatever route when they become age eligible, right? This, they were the first group to come in. So they signed that, you know, the deal that made them ineligible to go to college. They got the bag, good for them, right? But they're put in this situation now where they're, you know, they played the same two teams a million times. And then they played, you know, prep schools and high school teams that you know uh, they were just more talented than yeah you know there's more talented than these these prep school teams I, I don't even know how much they were really getting out of those those games yeah exactly now Amen Thompson is like three months older than Peyton Watson what would happen if Amen Thompson went to UCLA 
I don't know. Last year, would he have gotten more minutes than Peyton Watson? Maybe. But maybe, maybe not. Because I think Peyton Watson, which and we'll get into the defense a little later, I think Peyton Watson um, is a better defensive prospect than, than Amen is. I do think OTE will get there. And I think that what we'll start seeing is it'll be a little bit more like um, like an overseas basketball academy where they are getting all this great training and have a ton of resources and it's basketball, basketball, basketball in you know a way to prepare them for these next levels. But then they'll be actually be able to go and experience playing in those next levels. Amin Thompson is going to have two years against, you know, talent that, yeah, it's like good talent they're playing against, but like, it's just repetitive. I, and I don't know, like it, you just can't replicate the stage, the talent level, like you said, in the OTE or potential, you know, in a big time college school. Um, now, what I will say about the OTE is I think like, you know, when you watch like the championship games, I think there are some similarities that are, or at least more similarities with like the NBA type structure than a college system might be. Sure. You know, like sure. for as AAU as some of these games can get when the games got serious, like in the quote unquote playoff setting, mm-hmm. I do think they were a little bit more structured, a little bit more slowed down, a little more competitive and a little bit more like this looks a little bit like an NBA game. So I, you know, it's not to say that these environments are not you know, this is the wrong environment. Maybe it's the absolute perfect environment for him right you know i i always what i said what I, that i liked about jan montero is that he got to experiment a lot he had he had the ball in his hands a lot and he got to work on stuff that maybe he wouldn't have got to work on in different situations he had freedom and i compared it a little bit to like when Lamelo went to the nbl he made disastrous decisions there as a shot creator um you know just didn't just put up shots that you'd be like that's tur- that's as good as a turnover right because he shot like 20 percent from the three-point line too Mm-hmm. Um, but it clearly was the type of situation where he was able to like make use of it and, and he, he came into the league ready. So who knows, maybe this is a, a, a fine situation, but, and long-term I'm optimistic about the OTE, but I, I don't, I wish he had a different route to go for his second season for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I feel exactly the same. I I think, um, yeah, it's time we transition to the defense though. Yeah. It is. All right. I, I mean, let's start with the, the on-ball stuff. I hear, because, you know, I said I don't think he's as good as uh, a defensive prospect as Peyton Watson is, but that's not me saying I think he's a bad defensive prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that he is a good defensive prospect. I thought that he had some impressive flashes of on-ball ability. Um, really good lateral mover. I think he could stay with almost anyone. He's, you know, you mentioned his strength. He's not like the strongest guy ever. I don't think that really shows much um, at this level, but I think it will. Um, he doesn't always get into you. You know, he sometimes is cool, just like giving you a little bit of room. Sometimes he gets yes. into you, but not mm-hmm. always. It's not like that really aggressive, like, I want to be like a lockdown defender, um, just end you. Like, it's not that type of thing doesn't always finish with high hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you could shoot over him. So for as good, like he'll stay with a guy and then the, they'll just rise up and shoot and he doesn't have a high hand. Um, I will say he had a big 
defensive moment, like really impressive in the basketball tournament game where the, in the basketball tournament, first team to 74 and the team they were playing had 73. So pretty much game point. And he was like isolated and he just put the clamps on, mm-hmm. on this dude, mm-hmm. like absolutely put the clamps on. And, um, he ended up like swatting his shot, which not even like a layup attempt. Like he just stonewalled him. And then the guy had to put a shot up and he swatted it. Like it was really impressive. So when he wants to lock in, he could be really impressive, but it it's is. that I think with, you know, it's, the defensive mentality that some of these guys have, like you have to want to do it a hundred percent of the time. And I I think that the potential is there, but I think that just from a mentality standpoint, he's got a, you know, he's got some ways to go. Which is why Corey, I just, once again, this is not me hating on the OT, but I do sometimes wonder if it was the comp- the level of competition that he was playing that had an effect on that too, where he felt like he could be a little bit more nonchalant and not mm-hmm. as locked in. Something that I was thinking about, Corey, that I actually wrote in my notes is the way that he defended at times reminded me of NFL corners who don't have the, the speed to keep up with the elite um, speedy receivers, so they give them a cushion, and then they'll react to whatever happens after that. Except mm-hmm. Amin Thompson does have the speed to keep up, but I felt almost like he was giving them that cushion because it was like, you know, I don't really have to try. And then when you put up the shot, I'll just close and block the shit out of you. It's kind of what it felt like. Um, that you know, that it's I don't want to say cockiness, but it's like the, the confidence of knowing that, like, oh, I'm just way more athletic than you, so I can give you a little bit of cushion conserve my energy a little bit and then strike when I have to. Um, something that uh, you mentioned earlier was that he had like, he per 36 was like 1.9 blocks per game. I mean, it shows coming from the weak side. He absolutely terrorized dudes at the rim many times. As we mentioned on the offensive side with the second jump, he gets up really, really quickly and has good length and he has good anticipation on those blocks as well. It's just, um, I don't know if it was the culture or the level of competition or uh, just, you know, him being nonchalant or the mentality stuff, but uh, yeah, he wasn't always locked in. And for me, Corey, I felt like at times it was difficult for me to even judge him as a defender because of what I was seeing on tape. Like it, it just didn't feel serious at times. And then it did feel serious. As you mentioned, like in the playoffs, that environment when he's playing against his brother too, it felt way more intense and he felt more locked in, but um, it wasn't always there. And I felt, this is just my opinion, but I felt it more, especially when he was playing like the prep schools and the high school players. And where I think he's losing more development than the offensive side of the ball is defense is defense. Yeah. Because off ball, and again, maybe it's just because there, it's a little bit more nonchalant and a little yeah. bit more AAU up-tempo type style. I thought he was a disaster off ball. Yeah, yeah. And, um, like, so some of the things that I thought he really struggled with, he helps off the strong corner a lot. Like, he goes, a guy will drive past his man. He's in the strong corner. Like, NBA rule, you stick to your man in the strong corner and you let the back line help you know, come over and help. And he is just like committing to that drive and just leaving the shooter open in the corner. Like that NBA offense, like that's easy money. That's a, the highest percentage three point shot you can have. Right. Um, Frequently out of position on the weak side, just, you know, when it's his responsibility to be the low man, you know, he'll be stuck to his man or he'll be in a a completely different spot. Uh, Doesn't keep his head on a swivel. So, you know, he's prone to like getting oh yeah, back door. Like, uh, yeah. Um just kind of wandering, you know, maybe 
hunting some of those weak side blocks at times. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, it might not have hurt Team OTE that much in this setting, but, like, in a more structured with, you know, advanced sets, like, that's going to be something that... It's torch. Yeah. Um, sloppy closeouts. Uh, like doesn't have you know you, you want to see like guys running into their closeout high hand choppy feet and you know low in their stance and he's just like a little bit upright easy to blow by and again maybe he's just he thinks he's so athletic he can recover and, and get you on the recovery but these are all things that are like nuanced they're simple they're fundamental that i think he was missing and i i, I think that he gives defensive effort it's not a lack of effort it's a lack of just like he either hasn't learned it yet or, you know, he's just processing it a little bit slower than you kind of want to be processing it at. But those are some of the things I'm going to be looking for next year when we see him. Um, You know, our guy uh, ring Gibbs in the chat said, you're going to check out OTE in person this year. I think that some of us are, I I think I plan on, on making the trip. Um, So getting an up up close look, I think, you know, it's going to be cool. Uh, for sure, because I think they're you know the facilities are sick. I think the you know presentation of it is great, and yeah. I, I would love to get a, a up close look at at the Thompson twins and um, some of the other guys that are coming in. But yeah, I think I think he's got a lot of work because you know man to man that stuff that'll get figured out. Even if he is not the guy who is like wanting to be you know defensive player of the year, wing player type guy, he's still so athletic and he has good enough fundamentals that like I don't think he's getting cooked one on one. But the off-ball stuff, the team defense, the rotations, the, you know, having the wherewithal to be aware of your surround- surroundings and know where your man is, know where the ball is, know what's coming. And it, all that stuff's so hard at the NBA level. And, you know, you can get abused pretty early on in your career. And that's going to help you. That's That could hurt you get on the floor, depending on, you know, who your coach is. And, and Corey, I do have to say, and once again, the style of play, I thought, also did not help that at all. I mean, dude, there are times where I'm watching these games and, like, in real time, we're talking, like, five minutes sometimes where it's just back and forth. Like, absolute brick turns into a run out, into a turnover, yeah. back the other way, into another brick where they're running back the other way. And it's just like, okay, like, no one – both teams – are just set on not getting into any type of set and they want to keep running out and trying to take advantage of a turnover or a steal or an absolute brick from the other team. And it's just like, okay, then like we're talking about five minutes of real time, these guys running around and just not getting into anything set at all. And I feel like that type of environment, as you mentioned, the AAU environment It doesn't help. It doesn't help because there's no version of that in the NBA. The NBA doesn't look like that. It doesn't look, it looks like a completely different sport from that because you're talking about professionals. You're talking about adults and it's a different game completely. So I think that type of stuff didn't help him either. And you know, Corey, really quickly, I did want to say this in the comments, Charles Cohen says, I think you're trying to talk yourselves into believing they'll be exceptional prospects. I actually think I'm the opposite. I find myself today after watching all the tape thinking I'm actually really lower on Amen Thompson than where I thought I was going to be. And we'll get into the comps and everything right now. But I did want to say, Charles, I actually think we're in the opposite right now where we're talking ourselves into these guys not being anywhere near where everyone else has them. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think that what we've tried to do with these preseason scouts is 
I mean, we're trying not to be overly critical. It, it might come off harsh, yeah, but maybe. what we're trying to do is temper the hype, temper the expectation, and try to be realistic because the fact of the matter is you can go through the preseason rankings like every year, and a lot of those guys aren't going to be there. You know, like maybe one of the Thompson twins is and one of them isn't. You know, I, I think their situation might be a little bit different because – I, it's hard to see them fall too far out because they're playing in the same situation. I don't know what they would have to do to get what they'd have to like be so disastrous at that they're, they would drop. But like a lot of these guys that we're going to be talking about, like, yeah, it's cool to talk about them, you know, and, and write them down in pen early on in the preseason. But the fact of the matter is these NBA teams have them written down in pencil and they will erase them off the board real quick when the games actually start. So we're trying to just be realistic in these evaluations and not beat down the kids because Amin Thompson is a really talented kid. He has an athlete, a level of athleticism that you can't teach. And when, you know, I say this all the time, like sometimes talent outweighs some of the other stuff. And if he gets into the right developmental NBA program for a team that has patience and he's developing his shot, kid could be, you know, potential through the roof. It's just, it's hard to get to that level because for as good as an athlete as he is, is he really that much of a better athlete, if at all, than Jaden Ivey last year? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, right? You know, like every year, there are so many kids that are so super athletic that come into the NBA and they don't always work out. So we're just trying to bring a level of realism. You know, I mentioned like, what happens if he had gone to the college route? Peyton Watson was a top 10 pick who, you know, ended up in the back end of the first round after averaging two points a game um, for a team that was just like, hey, we got a first rounder. Let's take a shot on his potential. But they're probably not going to like put all of their eggs in the Peyton Watson basket and really try to develop him, right? Like that's not going to be the case for him. He, it's just going to be like, hey, we took a shot in the dark. Hopefully he turns into the top 10 prospect that he came in as a preseason. But so we're just trying to be a little bit more realistic and not yeah, hype exactly. these guys up. Even the guys that we really like, like I've been watching Keontae George tape and spoiler alert, we're going to cover him very soon. I fucking love that kid's game. <laughs> that kid is so impressive. He, I, his scoring package is so natural. Um, I, I just love watching him and we'll talk about him in depth, but like I felt really similarly to Jaden Hardy at the beginning of last year. I, mm-hmm. He was my number one prospect on the, on the board. And then I think I ended up with him in at like 21 or 22 by the time this, you know, the, the draft cycle ended. So this, these situations are fluid and there's just a lot of tape left to watch. And it's going to be fun to see how he develops next year based on what we saw this year and how much growth, if any, there is. No, I'm with you, Corey. On that note, I did want to say uh, I've been watching Cam Whitmore, and he's uh, he's fun. Freak athlete. He's really fun. He's really, really fun, and I'm excited to see more. So I'll pause there. Um, All right. Let's get to uh, our comps. If you are buying stock in Amen Thompson, who may you have bought stock in previously? God. People are going to come for me, Corey. And I'm okay with it because who am I anyway? I'm a nobody. No one's so. coming for you. Here we go. We're here. I thought of two names. Um, in terms of athleticism is kind of where I was going. And he has no in-between game at all. So it's not even fair to p- 
put this name out there, but I was thinking of Andrew Wiggins uh, mm-hmm. a little bit as an athlete. I think Andrew Wiggins is a great, great athlete, and uh, he was never, I don't think, ever called generational. Um, people always talked about his upbringing, and his, his, I think his mom was like an Olympian or something like that. Uh, great track family, I think. I think there was a um, little bit of generational talk with him. Oh, well. I think, that... I think that people thought he was like, I think there mm-hmm. might have been some next LeBron type stuff yeah. out there. So maybe there's a there's a connection there because people are thinking that Amen is generational as well. Uh, but, you know, at least Wiggins had an in-between game in college and he, he shot the three a little bit and stuff like that, which Amen just doesn't have. Um, I also another name that people will not like is Derek Jones Jr. Um, mm. Similar size uh, can really jump at the gym, but also offensively has a lot of limits on his game. So uh, those are the two names that I thought of. And I know. You know, right now the hype train is going to be like, "What are you crazy?" And I'm just like, "No, I think they're really well, realistic." I think Wiggins is a compliment right now. Correct. No, but I I did say like Wiggins without any of the offensive game, you know, <laughs> just yeah, like well. as an athlete. Um, and Derek Jones with the you know with the limitations on his game, but he can re- jump really high, is kind of where I landed. All right, so I had Wiggins too, um, but it didn't totally feel right because Wiggins. Yeah scoring his shooting package was so much but as an athlete as a rim attacker yes certainly although i think amen is probably more aggressive as a rim attacker um so two other guys this first guy i have written down the second guy i kind of thought of as we were talking okay. through everything uh josh jackson <sighs> um i really like that one there's a little bit of josh jackson there where People Good like God. Josh Jackson's playmaking. Josh Jackson was way more athletic than people are probably remembering. Um, and he was a much more effective shooter in his lone college season, but he was another guy who shot in the mid fifties from the free throw line. Yeah. Now Josh Jackson also, I think had some maturity issues early on. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I think he didn't pan out and he's still been bouncing around the league. So obviously like if that were to be, kind of the floor for Amen Thompson, you know, I don't think you take that with the top five pick, but it's definitely worthy of, you know, being a a lottery pick probably, you know, if Josh Jackson had his head on straight early on in his career. And then another guy who I think there are some similarities to, and he was picked, I think sixth overall is Isaac Okoro. Hmm. Isaac Okoro had a really good handle. I think he was a, a better playmaker um, than you'd have expected in college. Unbelievable attacker of the basket, really good finisher, ferocious, powerful, um, bouncy athlete who could not shoot and could still can't. Shoot. Uh, was definitely a more aggressive defender um, and stronger. Huge right now, just absolutely huge. But some similarities there too. So I, I mean, I think you know Isaac Okoro's kind of guy right now, like his spot in the rotation might be in, in jeopardy. Oh yeah. In jeopardy in Cleveland, you know, and it might be a guy who's bouncing around a little bit before he finds his way, but that's kind of why it's so imperative that, you know, Amen gets at least like a league average off ball shot. I mean, it's unfortunate, you know, you mentioned two guys who, I mean, first Josh Jackson is, he just played for the Kings last season. Didn't really play. Um, you talk about a Coro who just, they may have just drafted his replacement. Um, I, I think Corey, you and I were, I think we're being really 
true and honest with our listeners out here. Um, and and I also hope that you guys who are listening, we're not doing this to be intentionally contrarian either. This is not us trying to be like, oh, no. like we hate on this kid because we just want to be different. It's not that at all. Like we, I think our audience knows that about us. Yeah, I, I hope so. Like I, I'm trying to be as open and honest as possible about this kid. The hype that he is receiving right now, I understand because of, you know, whatever. I'm just not there. And I think the names that we threw out there are fair because these are true outcomes that may happen for him. And I think it speaks more to the fact that, yeah, sure, the, he has great traits and he has great ability and talent, but there's a very real world where it doesn't work out for him at all. And Corey, something that I had written in my notes that I was like kind of hesitating on whether or not I wanted to throw out there, but I'm going to say it. Um, I don't have a top 10 yet, uh, but I'm not sure he's going to be in my top 10 by the end of all this is mm. how I feel right now, where when the draft time comes. I don't think it'll be crazy if Amen Thompson is not in my top 10 or even in my top 15. I think there's a real world where that may happen. I'm not saying that it is, and that's what it is right now, but I think it's a very real possible outcome. That's how I feel. Yeah, I, of course. We went through all of the guys that were top 10 preseason of last cycle, and not all of them stuck, right? There's yeah. going to be returners who come in. Uh, you know, who I think have a chance at the top 10 guys like Kaluma guys uh, like um, what's his name? Shooter, skinny shooter, you know, Terquavion Smith. Like, I, Oof. you know, there, there are going to be a lot of returners who come mm-hmm. in and, you know, I, I think are, are going to get that hype as well. Um, And then there's going to be guys who come out of nowhere who we weren't expecting a la Johnny Davis. Right. Yeah. Um, And then they're just going to be new guys who, we wouldn't expect. Um, I like uh, Keontae's teammate um, Walker. Like that mm-hmm. kid is, is a, a, a beast. I love watching him play. I think he's going to make a, a, a dash to the top 10. Uh, you mentioned Cam Whitmore. Like, I think he's going to be uh, a, he's probably gonna be a lock for the top 10. Yeah. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot, there's a lot of talented guys in this class. So I, I don't think it's, out of the realm of possibility, you know, my big board, uh, also shout out Anthony black. I think he's going to be somebody that I love next year. Hell yeah. My big board right now, like is very fluid. I, I I think I've gone through basically I have my top five in, you know, cemented and, uh, I don't have, I'm in, in my top five right now. And, you know, he's not a, you know, I, he's not a top five lock, necessarily but um i don't think it's crazy to say that you don't know if they'll be there that's fine i think and they'll have every opportunity because to prove you you know us wrong you wrong whoever wrong and jump up into the that that top tier group because they have the raw talent to do it and amen has the raw talent uh to do it so i i think that one of the things that we're we're okay with adjusting our opinions you know like if if they come in next year with or if amen comes in next year and and you know his brother has a lot of you know the same flaws uh if they both come in with like beautiful or at least willing jump shots that that you could project forward i think that that'll go a long way so um that's enough critiques because it's now time (laughs) for complete positivity america's favorite segment it's time, Albert, for you to sell me this pen on 
Team OTEs, Amen Thompson. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I had to give myself a little bit of a runway because this is not going to be the easiest one for me. But here we go. Uh, Amen Thompson is a very talented, uh, youthful, aggressive, uh, athletic six foot seven wing who plays for Team OTE in the Overtime Elite League. Uh, he's a guy with a developing jump shot. Uh, he has a lot of work to do on it, but uh, there is hope that he can eventually get there and become at least a league average shooter. And if that is the case, then if you if he can get to a position where he's a league average shooter, if you combine the playmaking, the handle the aggression, the downhill speed, the pick-and-roll manipulation, you may be talking about a guy who one day maybe could be your lead ball handler or a secondary creator on your team with that size, with that length, with that athleticism, uh, and with some fine-tuning on the defensive side of the ball, we may be talking about a very uh, talented and multi-talented athlete and defender and offensive player that could really help your team is how I would sell I'm in Thompson. All right. I'll buy that. I will buy that on Amen Thompson. Um, thank you for everybody watching live on YouTube, YouTube in the chat. Um, throw your boys a like while you're here. Uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe to No Ceilings TV while you're here. And if you're watching the replay, you know, throw us a like and subscribe as well. Um, Albert, tell the people where they can find you on the World Wide Web. On the World Wide Web, you could find me on Twitter at Alberto Gim. Uh, toe is spelled T-O-E. Like the thing that you have on your foot is uh, where you find me on Twitter. I'm really excited for... I, you know what? I, I'll say it, Corey. I've been very thankful for the offseason. I've needed this time to recharge my batteries and to focus on different things in life. Um, and it's been great, but I also love doing these film breakdowns and these player breakdowns with you. And so I'm kind of starting to get the itch back a little bit as we get closer to draft season again, and I'm ready to rock and uh, I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah, man, I'm losing. I, I'm watching so much film every day because I'm a freak um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fiending for live action mm -hmm. to get this whole yeah. thing started because you know what it just it feels so drawn out exiting out of summer league because the last two off seasons were shortened yes you know because yeah. of the covid cycle and now it's just like we're back on the normal track and like i just want to be in a gym watching these kids live i want to be watching these you know the the film and and break it down with the college jerseys or whatever on to really you know get a, a an informed opinion to for these guys going forward but i'm enjoying the pre-season process for sure um you can find you can find me on twitter at cory tullaba uh on youtube at the nba draft dude uh if you have not done so yet rate uh, and review the show five stars would be dope uh, and subscribe to that share it with all your boys um, and next week we will be back with another uh, prospect um, until then make sure you head over to no ceilings nba.com and check out all of the uh, articles that we've been doing uh, going deep you know early on in the process still bringing you at least two to three pieces a week for free uh, subscribe there and uh Thank you for rocking with us, everybody. We appreciate the love. We out. Peace.